0: so we're here today
1: with a different format yep because we have been talking about some things today on november the 11th on november the 11th which happens to also be veterans day we talk about a lot of things off camera of course um in the course of our day-to-day activities and whatnot and a lot of what you talk about it has supreme relevancy to the concrete industry and the construction industry And it's more of a macro level. At a a macro level, for sure. And taking world events and climates, not necessarily climate, climate, but um, situations, and bringing all these factors in together and looking at the world and the industry in a way that I would venture a guess that nobody else is thinking about or considering. We're going to talk about um, economic influences the current economic climate Mm -hmm. and how that will impact construction and concrete in particular.
2: Right. Okay. So kind of my thought for this, uh, you know, we just went through the midterm elections in 2022 Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and, uh, you know, the last year, year and a half has been interesting to say the least. Lots of changes have happened we're in a, we went from a low tax, high volatility, meaning there's lots of market movement, lots of things going on in the economy, lots of people making money into COVID. Then the government's response to COVID was interesting to say the least. Um, We, as a country, seem to become more divided politically. And economically, the, the entire landscape has changed. And so as we come out of these midterm elections, you know, traditionally, uh, when you have a high inflation or a bad economy, usually the opposite political party does well, no matter which political party it is, mm-hmm. the opposite one does well because people are looking for a change uh this uh this particular election like some of the ones historically through you know going into really bad recessions or depressions the status quo for the most part the status quo is maintained and that seems quite unusual and so it kind of got me thinking and this is something i've been thinking i wanted to do for a little while uh is just talk about how the you know the current economy, say the next uh, two to five years, mm-hmm. how thing, how I see, how I believe that things will affect the concrete industry and specifically the polished concrete industry, because that's our main focus. Sure. So, um, and then we'll do a follow-up kind of second half to this of how to navigate through that kind of unusual economy or what I think is kind of coming towards this. So, I'll kind of kick it off with a little bit of backdrop mm-hmm. and just ask me whatever questions come about. Okay? All right. So, <clears throat> one of the biggest things, one of the biggest changes that will affect, it's already affecting our economy today, is coming from the government with government regulations and taxes. It seems like we've... Um, We've gone crazy with ESG, which is uh, you know energy efficient government, you know governing through to make energy green energy. I guess okay. is, is what ESG means. And so the government it feels like is pushing, trying to push us into a uh, into green energy, but they're doing so without us having the technology or the infrastructure to get rid of oil.
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. It's like they're stopping a little too soon. Yeah, so we
2: have oil and coal that Mm -hmm. make up like 90% or so of the power of the United States. Mm -hmm. And in the last two years, year and three quarters, whatever, the government says, oh no, you can't fund, don't finance anything for oil companies and we're gonna shut down all the coal power plants. Right. And coal mines. right? And so, well, let's push everything to wind and solar, except it's not always windy and it's not always sunny, and there's not enough batteries to hold the excess in the days that it is. So, you know, you're running into issues all across the the country. Of course. So that's number one. That is those policies are driving, you know, started out before COVID, before, well, I guess post-COVID, but before Ukraine and Russia, that policy started driving up the price of gas,
0: mm-hmm.
2: stuff like that. The government then came in and said, hey, you know, we don't want to export any of our oil. We want to hold it here, which I want to caveat by saying that one of the biggest drivers of a successful economy is cheap energy. Sure. So when you have cheap gas, cheap electricity, you can do a lot of stuff. You can manufacture a lot of stuff. You can ship a lot of stuff, and that is, you know, pardon the, the pun, but like gas in the tank to make the economy go, right? Right, of course. So when you start attacking and driving up the prices of energy, people have to start cutting back. People stop yeah. driving as much. You know, mm-hmm. maybe you got kids, and you say, hey, you know what? A, you can't go see, you know, Joe that lives thirty minutes away. Right. You know. You everything becomes very here thoughtful. Everything, mm-hmm. you gotta think about everything. Let's turn mm-hmm. off all the lights in the house, yep. You know, let's set the AC differently mm-hmm. in the summer, the heat different in the winter. Yep. So as the price of gas started going up, mm-hmm. a couple of interesting things happened. First, the government says, hey, you know, we're shipping all this gas overseas, so we need or all this oil overseas, so we need to stop doing that. So we stopped uh, shipping, exporting US oil. Mm-hmm. That created a, it's almost like somebody was didn't know what they were talking about, made the rules. Right. Because in the U.S., we mainly uh, pump light, sweet crude, which is a very light oil mm-hmm. that's great for gasoline. Mm-hmm. It's not good for diesel. So we would export our light crude to other countries in exchange for their heavy crude that we would then refine into diesel fuel. Okay. Okay. So, I don't know if you know this, but not just the construction industry, but pretty much everything—shipping, trains, planes, automobiles—sure, really not cars, but trucks and mm-hmm. diesels and semis—they all run on diesel. Mm-hmm. Well, where what are we seeing now in the United States? In different zones, they they run completely out of diesel. Mm-hmm. I was in uh, Virginia mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, and there was probably sixty big rigs lined up on the side of the road because the pilot and the flying J and another big truck stop that were all at one exit Uh none of them had any diesel and the next closest station was about 25 30 miles away so all these trucks that know their trucks very well Mm I they can get there. Like, yeah. I can get to that exit. That's where I know I'll have gas. Right. I know I'll, know I'll have diesel. Uh-huh. I'll fill up there and move on. That's my favorite place. That's where I like to go. I'm going to stretch it a little bit because I know I can get there. Right. They got there. Couldn't get any further. Got all these trucks lined up on the side of the road because they were all out of diesel. So, uh, you know, it doesn't really do us any good to have oil that can't hardly be used for diesel but we hold it instead of export it so then the people that we trade with can't do it. Right. So what that's done is it's driven the price of diesel way up. You know, I think we're up around five dollars a gallon for diesel. And that's just here. That's just locally. Yeah, right? that's that's here in Texas. When mm-hmm. I was in New York a couple weeks ago, I think it was like six seventy-five or six eighty yeah. a gallon for diesel there. So can you imagine what that does to our supply? So the cost of
1: goods and services just yeah. took another hike up. Right. So across the board,
2: no matter what product mm-hmm. you use it's going to the prices have to go up right so you got all these these consequences of the government trying to move us the current political party that has been in power for the last two years trying to move us to this green energy Mm -hmm. direction without having a plan or the technology yet
1: to make the move right or thinking through it doesn't seem like through all of the consequences oh, yeah. for all of the things that oil touches.
2: Yeah. It doesn't make sense to me. I was, um, I, I think I told you about this before, but, you know, I, we live in Dallas, right? And so there, I did a, a little bit of research a couple months ago on <clears throat> how many diesel trucks are used for inner city shipping in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex,
1: Oh, okay. So just, just, yes. just within the area, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, the the truck from Lowe's dropping off lumber at the local construction supply. Right? Sure, sure. So, I took that number of trucks, mm-hmm. uh, and then I took the average uh, electrical output of a diesel engine uh-huh. and an eighteen wheeler, uh-huh. and I multiplied it by the number of trucks. Uh-huh. You know what I found? What the electrical output of just the inner city use trucks in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex Mm -hmm. is more energy than all the electric power plants in the country make in a a day. So if we got rid of oil, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: we didn't have gasoline and all the cars were electric, Mm -hmm. and you were going to try to charge the batteries to power those diesels in a given day to create that much electrical output to drive those trucks around the Dallas Metroplex. That would literally take every watt of energy made by every power plant in the country just to charge those trucks for one day. That's one city. That's the seventh largest city in the U.S. Wow! We don't have the electrical capacity with the current, including nuclear, coal fire, hydroelectric, and um, oil-powered generators the country doesn't have the electrical output to charge the trucks that we need to just deliver our goods around Dallas. wow taking milk to the donut shop sure taking tortilla flour to the mexican restaurant delivering picking up porta potties right right wherever you know whatever it is whatever it is we do not have the electrical capacity in the united states to charge those vehicles should we make this move But the government is trying so hard to push us through.
1: And let's not even talk about the stability of electrical grids and how old and outdated they are. We won't even go down that road. No,
2: we could, but we we will not. not. Okay, so you have high cost of energy, right? Mm -hmm. There are some alternatives. You see in our industry, you see a lot more equipment running on propane. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Well, propane and natural gas are the same thing, Mm -hmm. basically pricing of those two are the same Mm -hmm. but in an interesting situation so we have all this this green energy stuff going and the right now you you have this Russia and Ukraine having a war a a little local war over there it's not a big war
0: yeah
2: it's a little local war well personally I think that it's the opening act of what will become World War Three but you know it'll just like every other (laughs) spoiler I
0: mean
2: I think it's the opening act um, of World War III, but that'll take time to develop like all the prior world wars and major wars take time to develop. Okay, so you have this going on over in Ukraine. Well, interestingly enough, Russia supplies most of the heating oil and natural gas to Europe. Mm -hmm. The Europeans are mad at the Russians for being in a war with Ukraine, so they didn't want to... Deal with Russia to getting for getting right. oil and natural gas. Right. First, Russia said, "Okay, we're going to have a mechanical malfunction, and we're going to shut off the pipeline."
1: Right.
2: And then somebody, some government—I don't know which one—decided mm-hmm. that you know, hey, it's pretty easy pickings to go blow up what's called the Nord Stream pipeline. Right. Which were two underground pipes going back and forth from Russia to Europe. Mm-hmm. So those got blown up. No option of them ever being turned on for decades, probably again, sure. to rebuild those. Sure. So now Europe is without natural gas. They're going into the winter, it's November. Mm-hmm. They're going into their, their really cold winters in, in Europe, right? Interestingly, the U.S. is shipping tons of natural gas over to Europe. Well, historically, the price per ton of U.S. of natural gas has been $7 a ton. Okay. The price per ton in US dollars for the same gas in Europe, getting it from the pipeline from Russia has been $35 to $40 a ton.
1: Okay. So that's a 5x
2: discrepancy. Yeah. Well, because natural gas is common here and not common in Europe. So like gasoline, everything over there is quite a bit higher sure. price, right? Mm-hmm. Well, so interestingly enough, what's happening in the US is our natural gas price has snuck up from $7 to like $23, $24 a ton. sir. And before the end of the winter, it'll be $35, $40 a ton matching up with Europe because who are our natural gas providers selling their natural gas to? At what price? Well, why would we sell it for right. $7 when I can sell it for 35 Right. Why would I do that? So our price here in the U.S. is going up 5x. So the concrete industry has made all these shifts to running propane equipment, Mm -hmm. which is much better in general, especially for big projects like we consult on most often, because you have limitations of power, and so the propane lets you move around a lot easier, lets you set up and tear down easier, you don't deal with cores and customers and whatever else. So the price to run those machines has gone up significantly to operate that equipment. And so I'll get into some more of that later when I kind of start talking into the, how do you navigate through this and and successfully run your business through this? So Mm -hmm. bottom line is the price of energy is going up, the price of shipping is going up. Um, You have all these these things, right? So then you have another component, uh, which is the Federal Reserve Bank Mm -hmm. and interest rates. So, backdrop
0: mm-hmm. so
2: you have covid right mm-hmm. regardless of what you think about covid whether you think it's the worst disease in the world or you think it's like an aggressive yeah. version of the flu i don't really care it doesn't even matter what you think or i think right situation is the government told everybody that they needed to stay home right so and they couldn't go to work mm-hmm. so if you can't go to work then you can't produce things right hmm then the government said, well, since you're staying at home and not able to go to work, let me print a bunch of money and send that to you for free without you needing to actually work to earn that money. So there's no production and a whole lot more money in the system. Sure. So when you take down the supply, but increase the amount of dollars in circulation. Right. That creates, that makes the cost of the goods that are available shoot up. Right. So that's called inflation. Right. For 30 years, 30, 40 years, we here in the US have had extremely low inflation, sub two percent. One percent, one and a half percent, very, very low inflation numbers. Mm-hmm. That was good for interest rates for mm-hmm. loans. Of course. Well, the biggest beneficiary of those interest rates for loans has been the construction industry. Sure. So whether it's been residential homes, which have mm-hmm increased in value exponentially, mm-hmm. uh, or commercial construction, or the interest rates have been so cheap that you could build buildings even that you may not have had rented out fully because right. the cost of the borrowed money was so cheap right. that even if you have 50% or 60% occupancy, mm-hmm. that's more than enough to pay the note. Right. So if you had 70% occupancy, yeah, you're, you're, you're making money. money. Now right. you're making money because you're making more than what your note is. Right. right. But with every percent that the interest rates go up, mm-hmm. the cost of those buildings, the cost of those homes increases rapidly, right? Sure. Okay. So, the, um, that has fueled an interesting situation, so we have high inflation. Mm-hmm. The government wants and the, they're using a relationship with the Federal Reserve Bank to control the interest rates. Mm-hmm. Pushing the interest rates up because if they can raise the cost of goods, mm-hmm. that will make people not, first of all, that will make people not want to buy them.
1: Sure. So it'll
2: decrease it the demand, mm-hmm. which should decrease the cost, mm-hmm. the price, the sales price, right? Right. Right.
1: right. Thank you for the, the, sales the distinction. sales mm-hmm.
2: Not necessarily the cost, but mm-hmm. the sales price. Right. When people don't buy stuff and you have a lot of stuff sitting, then you right. sell it for cheaper until you can sell it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. The interesting thing to me about that is the government, if you look at the debt that the US government has, they really need inflation to be between like 2% and 8% with preferably that 5, 6, 7% inflation every mm-hmm. year on year in order to deflate or inflate away their debt. Right. So basically they borrowed $100,000 hypothetically, mm-hmm. and they borrowed it that $100,000 could buy you a car, right. a nice car, right? right? Well, if they can make that $100,000 less valuable each year uh-huh. and 10 years out, that $100,000 car cost you $150,000, right? now their $100,000 debt is worth a lot less, so they're able to pay it off with cheaper and cheaper money. Sure. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. it does. So, as the interest rates go up, there's a fine balancing act between inflation going up and Mm -hmm. the amount of interest rate that the government has to pay to borrow the money. Sure. In the United States, we don't live on money we earn. We live on money we borrow. Right. So, the government borrows money every day, every month, every year, Mm. all year. Mm -hmm. So, with all that kind of backdrop set up, when you raise interest rates to lower the demand, Mm -hmm. that means that, say, a manufacturing plant that makes watches. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Well, they're not selling as many watches, so what do you think they do to the people in their plant? They let them go. They lay them off. Mm -hmm. So the government is willing, like if you read the Federal Reserve Bank meeting minutes from the different feds, the government is willing to have eight to 10% unemployment to have that 6% to 8% inflation because over the period of years, that reduces the federal debt so they can continue to borrow more money, so they can continue to roll it into more social programs and right. ESG subsidies and things like
1: that. Sure. Okay.
2: Kind of giving you a little bit of background
1: here. I think that sometimes it's it, it can be confusing that, one, there's more than one reserve Yeah. So you get your St. Louis, you've got several others, and that they're not necessarily attached to the federal government. Yeah. The Federal Reserve
2: Bank is a private corporation run separately that the government is basically outsourced making our money, making and
1: managing the government's money. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's basically a subcontractor to the government. That's
2: right. So run by people that we did not
1: elect Right.
2: that are nominated, put forward by banks.
1: Right, so it's kind so, of a similar. It's like, interesting. It's well, an interesting situation all on its own. Correct. To understand what the Federal Reserve does. Correct. So I think that's just an interesting, like, huh, like if you're if you're going to look at all of these things categorically with a big mm-hmm. giant question mark, I think that's that's also interesting. Let's okay. let's go ahead.
2: So, with all that in in mind, uh-huh. here's kind of what uh, what we're looking at. Economically, for the next I don't want to go out like five years but let's say the next 12 months 12, 18 months mm-hmm. something like that so with interest rates going up mm-hmm. the first thing that gets affected is mortgage rates right mortgage rates obviously people trying to buy homes mm-hmm. has been at a high for a long time you know low demand or low supply high demand people want to they can borrow cheap money so oh, sure. you can mm-hmm. you can get a a two hundred thousand dollar home with a mortgage rate that, if you were borrowing that money at say nineteen seventy eight or seventy nine interest rates, right. you would only be able to borrow about one hundred and five thousand because your interest on that loan would be so high right. that for the last few years I could have borrowed two fifty and had the same payment. Right, which is. Wild. Yeah, so if I can afford two thousand a month mm-hmm. and if the interest rates are at two and a half, three percent, three and a half percent versus twelve and a half, thirteen percent, well the difference in those is a thousand dollars a month and a hundred thousand dollars worth alone. So if I could afford a hundred thousand dollars before, now I can afford two hundred thousand dollars at a much right. lower interest rate. And right? so that
1: also does that artificially shoot up the, the price of homes too, right? Well, so
2: what that because you have a high demand mm-hmm. There's not enough they can't build them fast enough. So right. the supply demand uh, imbalance right. drives up the price. Plus people can afford more. Right. So why would the builders not charge more?
1: Right. So it's the same as similar to the gas situation with our exports. Yeah. If they if they if we can charge thirty five over here, then I guess we can charge thirty five over we charge thirty
2: five there. Right. Yep. Okay. And so yeah, I mean if if a builder says I can build ten homes a month. Mm-hmm. And I'm selling them at two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a home and I'm so I sell all ten every month before I even get them before I get the first piece of lumber on the on the slab. Right. Why would I not raise the price of those to three hundred thousand a month and see? Because right. if I only sold eight of the ten, I'm making the same money, right? Plus I get two extra.
1: Right. Right. Right? So mm-hmm. I might as
2: well go ahead and raise the price, see what happens. Right. They raise the price, there's still demand. And they're still profitable. Money. They're yeah. more
1: profitable per house. Right. That's right.
2: So where we sit now is that our interest rates are have gone up significantly. Mm -hmm. I think right now we're at about seven and a half percent, eight percent. You know, it's like the bottom line. If you've got really good credit Mm -hmm. and lots of assets or whatever, the uh, you know, so significantly higher, right? Yeah. Well, so what that's done is the home sales trajectory has been like this for a decade, Mm -hmm. and now it's falling off a cliff. Right. The um, for me personally, I have a rental home that I put up for sale. I put it mm-hmm. up for sale mm, a month ago, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the same home when I bought it, which was like two two years ago, a mm-hmm. year and a half ago, mm-hmm. uh, had fifty six offers on the home within the first week. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It's been a month and a half. We
1: haven't had one person look at it. Which. For anybody who's listening, the DFW market is hot. The area that you're talking about yeah, is very, hot. very, very desirable, yeah. very sought after. And that is... But there's, you talk to any agent, I mean, they're just, it
2: literally fell off a cliff. Yep. Now you've got a, the house prices are dropping really fast because mm-hmm. everybody's having to lower their home price to sell their house, right? right. So the residential market is dropping significantly. Mm-hmm. Commercially, new construction commercial is in the same boat. right. Sure. Now the the dynamic, the the ratio dynamic. If I rented fifty percent of my space out before, I right. can make my
0: payment. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, now that my interest rate is five, six, seven percent higher yeah. than what I what I could get before, mm-hmm. my payment is now up. You know, maybe another ten thousand a month. Right. So now I need five more tenants paying mm-hmm. two thousand a month apiece to right. make the ten thousand a month I need extra just to make the payment. Yep. So now my building needs to be eighty percent rented out mm-hmm. in order to make it equitable, right?
1: right
0: mm-hmm.
2: To where I can at least afford to have that
1: building. Right? And now it's harder. So that's the that's the landowner's problem. And mm-hmm. now, good luck finding more businesses that are clamoring to use that space, right? Because everybody's scared. Nobody wants to open up a new business. Nobody wants to do that.
2: So, uh, this is something that we've talked about before. It's something that I look at uh, and I've been doing this for since 2006, 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. I look at Portland Cement Orders. Mm -hmm. So, Portland Cement Futures. Mm -hmm. Um, When every year when a cement plant is going to, you know, they're putting in their projections for next year, they're mm-hmm. ordering their Portland cement manufacturing raw base material. Mm-hmm. They can always dig out sand, they can always dig out rock, right, right. because you've got lots of quarries and places, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But you can't just dig out Portland cement, that mm-hmm. has to be manufactured and mm-hmm. it takes a lot of um, energy to manufacture that. Sure. Well, the price of energy is going up. Sure. <laughs> Right. but not even counting that. Mm-hmm. Now the demand is going is going way down. Mm-hmm. So in 2022, for the first time in 13 years, no, I'm sorry. For the first time since 1982, we've had more than a 1% drop. We had a 3.5% drop in Portland cement from 2021 to 2022. Oh wow. The only, uh, the last drop was 2010. So 9, 10 was a really bad, great financial crisis, right? Mm -hmm. So that dropped one and a half percent, I think. Three and a half percent to 2022. Well, I want to check my notes here because I actually wrote this down. I wanted to make sure that I said it right. So 2023 is projected to be down 13% from 2022.
1: So, so, basically, to summarize, that means in all the other years since 1982, the biggest drop has been maybe 1.5% year like to year, yeah. right? Something in that. A single digit. Yeah. And you're saying in, in a crescendo, right? the difference from 2022 to
2: 2023 will be? 13%. So, you know, we're in November. That's
1: massive.
2: Most of the orders for 2023 have already been put in. So, we know pretty close to what that is, right? With the home building market falling off Mm -hmm. and commercial construction falling off, Portland cement futures have fallen off. People are not ordering the Portland cement. So next year, even if the most amazing boom in the world happens, and we found it started raining gold. Right, right. Literally. Like right. it was hailing gold. Right. And everybody had tons and tons and tons of money. And inflation was at forty percent because you have so much money. Right. Right. You, know, you can just go buy a Ferrari like you're picking an apple off of the tree, right?
0: Right.
2: Even if that were to happen, uh, construction would still be down massively because they don't they because haven't they made don't, the, have the materials. And there's no raw material there for the batch plants, the, the ready mix companies to actually make the gray stuff that goes up in the trucks that gets mixed to your slabs.
1: So it's not just a, it's just not um, it's not that it's too expensive. It's not that it priced itself out. It's that they they looked at futures and said we're not producing.
2: It's yeah. So there, it
1: doesn't exist.
2: So the Portland cement for next March, mm-hmm. they would already have to be making it now. Right, for it to work its way through the supply chain sure. to be in a batch plant in March. It's already it's already in process. Wow. So the fact that it's not being made means that no matter what. so
1: It means I, it's not being made, it right. doesn't
2: exist. So uh, I used a uh, government site to figure out what a 13% drop in Portland cement means mm-hmm. when it relates to dollars of construction. Sure. So it's a pretty easy formula, you get 20 years, this is how much Portland cement is made, this is how much commercial construction has been done, which I'm focusing just on commercial because polished concrete, while it's growing sure. residentially, it's not, that's not that's the biggest significant thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. So polished concrete, its biggest customers are commercial construction. Sure. So I'm only doing commercial construction right now. It's so pretty easy. There's X number of millions, or billions of dollars of commercial construction. There's X number of million pounds of Portland cement made each year. You divide it by out, you know, divide it out. Every pound equals X dollars. Right. So with a 13% drop, that's 123 billion dollars worth of construction that will not happen in 2023. That did happen in 2022. Wow, 123 billion dollars in new construction
1: will not happen.
2: You look like you have a question i have some
1: i have some words i definitely have some words how to navigate how to navigate for sure but the those dollars those missing dollars those missing jobs represent projects people companies Mm
0: -hmm.
1: materials supply a lot of factors go into that 123 billion dollars yeah concrete is a very complicated supply chain let's talk about related to that 123 billion dollar gouge out of the construction company. well i mean i think that
2: as far as in the concrete industry that's going to be a big hit especially to the new construction side that there'll be some pockets of the country that'll be better prepared or better, they will weather the storm better.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, I think that you will see people are already kind of fleeing the West Coast. Right. Um, you know, if you think countrywide regulations and taxes are bad, the West Coast is. You know, let's take the really bad. You know, federal right. and tack on fifty percent more. Right. It's oppressive. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that people will leave there. I think that people will leave the North. Continue to to flee the North, sure. Northeast specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know you have weather dynamics, but you also have a lot more regulation and sure. you know a lot more political overbearing mm-hmm. situations mm-hmm. in a lot of areas, right? And so states like Texas, where we live, I think will fare a lot better than some other states mm-hmm. for new construction, sure. specifically new construction.
1: Okay, specifically. So I'm pointing that out because right. we're going to go somewhere here. We're we going with new construction. Yeah, we're not going new construction. Sure. Okay. We're going to go somewhere different. There we go. All right,
2: uh, Florida. You know Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, North, Tennessee, South Carolina, yeah. Tennessee, yeah, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas. Okay. Um, you know that that whole South and Southeast corner. corner. Mm-hmm. You have a lot less regulation. You have a lot lower taxes. You have better weather climate, especially for. For construction and building things, so where you have a longer cycle to build, yeah, instead of having a six-month or eight-month cycle, you get an eleven or twelve-month cycle, Mm -hmm. you know, without near as much delay. Well, that drives down the cost. Your labor cost is down. Your cost of living is down. You know, lots of things. So, I think that you know, new construction will be significantly weighted more towards one region of the country, um, you know, than a couple of other areas that have over the last 30 years seen a lot of fairly consistent growth as well right. so let's talk about kind of where what that leaves for our industry I think the price of concrete will continue to go up Sorry? and the demand for concrete will continue to go down as the price goes up and the number of building uh, building projects continues to go down mm-hmm. I think that that's an opportunity for our industry to up our game Okay. In the concrete place and finish side, we've been running a nonstop sprint for twenty years. And so when you run nonstop sprint, and right. you just go as fast as you can without ever having a day off mm-hmm. and never having a day of rest, right? You your your employees trial by fire. You sure. hire people, you throw them into the field, right. you say, Hey, follow that guy around for a week, and a week later that guy is supposedly trained to run his job. Right. Now, does he know what he's actually doing or is he just mimicking somebody else? But mm-hmm. if you mimic what's the telephone game, right, you know, you lose things in each layer of translation. So mm-hmm. we see that in the as a consulting side. All the time. We see it, yeah, nonstop. Mm-hmm. That you know, a guy five generations ago got an ACI certification mm-hmm. as a flat work finisher. Well, he right. trained His brother, who trained a friend, who trained his cousin, who trained that guy's brother, who trained a new hire, and now that new hire is running a crew that's finishing a grocery store. Right. So five generations from somebody who actually understood what does troweling and curing do to concrete? Right. No updates and then, That's to, right. and then it's computation of time. Sure. And because you never stop running the sprint, mm-hmm. you never really get to take time to train. You never really get to get time to take to learn mm-hmm. the implications of what you're doing, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why we have expert concrete training, right? Of course. I think that there's an opportunity here for the concrete place and finish industry to take a deep breath. And there will be a lot of jobs lost and there will be a lot of a lot of frustrating times, but there's nothing that you can do right, right off the bat. It's mm-hmm. easy,
1: low-hanging fruit mm-hmm.
2: to stop that from happening.
1: Right. It's a tidal wave. It, That's it's, right. a, it's a drop in the ocean. Government right. set it up. It's mm-hmm. going to happen. It's
2: already happening. Decrease right. in construction. Decrease in orders. There, there's no way to... Right. You know, oh, everybody's going to be great,
1: right? Right. You need to make a decision if you're going to bail or if you're going to hunker down. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and so I think now's the time. So the companies that are going to make it through,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I think, um, will contribute to that unemployment no matter what they do. Sure. Because they have less work, right? right? So they're going to have to lay some of those guys off. Right. Well, the guys that they keep now we are going to be running at a lot slower pace. Right. And now you're running a marathon, not a sprint. Mm hmm when you're running a marathon and you're moving slower right and you have kind of segments mm-hmm. and you get an injury you kind of you know okay i can take a little bit of time to mm-hmm. stretch out some and try to figure out how to do this the right way and can i make it through to the end right? yeah that's i think the situation that we're in Polished concrete is going to continue to grow it's continuing mm-hmm. to take over market share mm-hmm. and we'll get into that some more in a second but where it relates to concrete place and finish I think that this is an opportunity for the place and finish industry to do better training on their part, Mm -hmm. Um, maybe go back to some of the basics. One of the things that we see all the time is curing of concrete. Nobody really understands what, why, or how we should cure concrete, what the benefits are. Mm -hmm. I think that the concrete place and finish industry has been so focused on the get on the job on Monday, be right. done and off, right. and moved on down the road, and they don't see what the work that they turn over today, mm-hmm. what it looks like in a year mm-hmm. when the building is turned over, or what it looks like in five years or ten years with wear and use. <clears throat>
1: How do we get... And, and would they care? Even under the best of circumstances. So maybe with a slower slower economy, there's, there's less um static to maybe hide behind or to have ambiguity behind is that right or my yeah i think it
2: something i think that as the economic conditions impress upon contractors mm-hmm. the better quality contractors will be the ones getting jobs and sure. the ones okay. that don't do near as good at work will not get the jobs sure. so if you're if you're a finisher that does schools mm-hmm. and every one of your schools the polishers have to struggle and mm-hmm. the GC goes man these guys are cheap mm-hmm. and I can get them on here but I have to deal with all their problems six months later right right, right. well now that GC says you know where I could only get one guy before two mm-hmm. guys before now I've got 15 beating down my door to okay. try to do this job I'm gonna go with quality now
1: because I can't
2: yeah now I'm gonna because all the pricing is going to level out because there's just not enough work to keep everybody busy, right? right so the right. high price guy that was super busy before, right. his price is going to go down, mm-hmm. right? And so now you go with quality as a differentiator.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So the higher quality contractors should prevail. Yeah, and it, obviously there's going to be one offs everywhere, of but course. I think that when the when the place and finish work. Guys, step up their game when they start to learn about you know what admixtures do. How do I how do I slow down this a little bit? How do I get this better finish? Do I need to burn it in every time? Is mm-hmm. burning it black the right thing? How do I put my curing compounds on right? You know, mm-hmm. is a water cure better for this? Mm-hmm. And all these things. And you look at them, and the you look at those uh, situations through the optics of yeah, this is a polished concrete project. So the owner is taking the foundation work and turning that into the finished floor, sure. yeah, I think they're going to care because that's how they're getting the jobs. And so I think you'll see, my hope is that you'll see more finishers specialize in higher quality output that makes polished concrete
1: easier and better to install. So then they'll naturally, as an extension of that, they'll naturally have to be... Curious about the things that they didn't have time to think about before. They so they will have to, to be like, how does my does my How does my finish work affect the next guy?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, they've never even or it May never even occur to them. Don't care. Don't know. Don't okay. care. Never needed to care. Right. Okay.
2: Why do I need to care if I've got jobs? I've got like um, people begging me to work on a Sunday afternoon to right. triple the rate. Right, because they can't get anybody else Right, so I'm paying my guys double the rate charging triple the rate right. to take any job I, I don't have a single day that I'm not full so why, lot do yeah, why do I need to worry about it? I need to worry about it but I think that the realities of the economy are going to change that yeah. All right, so that, mm-hmm. I think that's one of, the, one of the big things that's going to get uh, addressed
0: mm-hmm.
2: so now we can move to the polished specifically polished concrete side and Mm -hmm. kind of what how i think that the economic and political situation is going to affect polished concrete Mm -hmm. so first the first thing that's going to happen or that's already happening is oil byproducts like vinyl Mm Oh gosh! Right, like circling all the way back. and Mm -hmm. mastics and things that are that are high energy. You know, takes a lot of energy to create. Mm -hmm. Um, Some tiles, Mm -hmm. you know, things that takes a lot of energy to create. The price on those is shooting sky high because the cost of energy is going up. The cost of that byproduct is going up, and it may not even be that the the price may not even be the driver.
0: Mm
2: Because if you had a good that everybody wanted, it doesn't matter what you sell it for, mm-hmm. if you doubled your price, you would still have lots of people that want it. Right. But if the base, if the raw material for that good is no longer available right. at all, mm-hmm. because it's being used over here for this mm-hmm. other purpose. Mm-hmm. So if all the, say, heavy crude that we get mm-hmm. that has a byproduct that kicks out that makes uh, vinyl and epoxy sealers, Mm -hmm. if all of that heavy crude is going to try to cover diesel fuel. I guess we're not using that
1: tile anymore.
2: So I think that vinyl will, for the most part, disappear. I think that um, a lot of the sealers and mastics will disappear. They'll either become so costly that it doesn't, you know, they don't make sense anymore, or they'll become unavailable.
1: Now, we saw a company go out of business this past year
2: yeah okay so one of our customers Mm -hmm. is uh is target stores Mm -hmm. and target has done white vinyl for decades Mm -hmm. and uh earlier this year the manufacturer who makes that product for them Mm -hmm. declared bankruptcy and said we're no longer able to supply your vinyl right well that kicked off a conversion to polished concrete uh where you know, they're gonna do a lot more polished concrete stores than what mm-hmm. they've done in the past because mm-hmm. they don't have the material right. to do it a different way. Right, because right? it's gone. <clears throat> well, I think you're gonna see that play out across a lot of projects. The most impactful, probably, to the polished concrete industry will be grocery and larger retail box stores that have vinyl. Mm-hmm. So even though polished concrete has been growing for years and years, mm-hmm. And you have a lot of stores that are polished country, let's say everything that's been built in the last ten years is polished country. Well what about everything that was built in the right. thirty years before that? Right, right,
0: right. You know, say
2: 1984. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a lot. The um, I looked up something here. So I wanted to find out um, how much of what we have currently in the US is older buildings. So I looked up commercial construction data from 1980 to present. Mm -hmm. So in the 10 years from 1980 to 1989, uh, we built 915 million commercial construction projects in the U.S. in that 10
1: years. Projects? Yeah. Not even square foot or square feet. No. Oh,
2: no. I, okay. There's no way to even tell that. It was a lot because okay. back then we built a lot bigger buildings, even bigger manufacturing plants. And sure, malls. that's right. That's right.
1: Because yeah, we, think about
2: malls. Yeah,
1: because we didn't have all the logistics of the online. Right. Okay.
2: And then 90 to 99, we built 845 million. So down a little bit, but okay. not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. 2000 to 2009, Yeah. 700 million. So down 200 million from two decades before. Okay. Okay, Mm -hmm. 2010 to 2020 Uh uh-huh down to 400 million wow okay from 20 till now eight million projects really way way off way way off the number okay so you have the last two years we've Mm -hmm. not built near as much which makes sense because Mm -hmm. you've had covid and then now high interest rates things like that i was planning to build a commercial building that You know, I backed out of because I was worried about the, what was COVID going to do to retail cost per square foot for retail space. Super smart move. So I backed out of that project, Mm -hmm. lost some money, but in the end, probably made out all right. The new construction commercial has been going down since 1980, right? Mm -hmm. That, I think, opens a big door for polished concrete Mm -hmm. because... One of the things that we can sub out is instead of them recovering the floor tile, mm-hmm. we'll take the same machines and grind and polish the floor. Sure. So I think that our industry has some opportunity here to focus on the remodel side of business and continue to take over that that market share and work that re- remodel side reconstruction, uh reclamation side of the commercial industry Mm -hmm. you'll find all those buildings from the 80s and 90s some of which have not even been in use for 10 15 20 years right but um with geopolitical now kind of blowing it back out yeah Mm -hmm. when you think about you know china's no covid policy tensions in Taiwan you know, the cost of shipping and all that, mm-hmm. I think a lot of companies are trying to reshore manufacturing. In fact, uh, one, of, one of our good friends and another customer of ours, mm-hmm. uh, I was with them earlier this week looking at a project, and the owner of that company left the project that we went to go look at and went to a big trade show mm-hmm. because he's trying to find a new supplier for his goods that are normally been made in China. He's trying to find a new supplier here in the U.S., and he's willing to pay more money because mm-hmm. the cost of shipping and the, the logistics right. of timing trying to get goods out of China has mm-hmm. gone so high that.
1: And it's unpredictable. Even if, there's, a, there's a piece in there right. that there's like that amount of unpredictability. The cost
2: is too hard, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So, the, uh, uh, so, yeah, he went to a trade show specifically in Cleveland, of all places. Really? Went to a trade show yeah. to try to find a new supplier. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to get his goods made here in the U.S. So what that means is, as you start to reclaim a lot of that manufacturing, well, guess what? A lot of manufacturing plants have been shuttered. They've been up, right? Yeah. Right. You know, they've just been sitting there with people throwing rocks through the windows and homeless people living in them. So now we, as the polishing industry, we have a great opportunity here to go work on some of that. So not only are you popping tile in your local Kroger store Mm -hmm. and polishing the floor, your local, you know, whatever local chain, plus Mm -hmm. your elementary school, you know, and the old mall that's now turning into a college campus. Right. 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 You know, all of these buildings, Mm -hmm. if they can't get the tile to put down to go replace the tile. Mm -hmm. We're here. Hey,
0: hi. Yeah, right. And guess Mm -hmm. what that
2: feeds into that the government's trying to push the green energy situation because polished concrete is a lot lower maintenance. Mm -hmm. You don't have all the waste from wax and strippers and the waste tile. And it's a lot cheaper to maintain, Lower, you know, lowers your overall energy costs. Mm-hmm. You can make up high reflectivity, so you lower the amount of light that you need in the space. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Thermal mass for heat and cool. It's mm-hmm. a lot easier to move air around on a, on a concrete floor than it is on a tile floor, say. Mm-hmm. And so all those things mean that polished concrete, which we've known for years, plays into the green building movement. Well, sure. now we can kind of double down on that. Right. And take advantage of the government situation where they're trying to push that anyway and I think
1: exponentially grow the industry. I like that. I mean, it's like we've laid out there, it's a, it's a, it may be a bit of a bumpy road to get there, but it might not, it doesn't have to be maybe quite as bad because there is all the opportunity in reclamation. So
2: I think Mm -hmm. that a lot like the concrete place and finish on Mm -hmm. the polishing side. There are some technological advances that are already kind of coming Mm -hmm. down the pipe. I've seen quite a few things, but there's a lot of stuff coming down the pipe that will work good for our industry in the the reclamation side. Uh And for those of you manufacturers that happen to be listening, (laughs) keep up the good work and keep letting me know what's going on. Right, right.
0: Um,
2: But I think there's a contractor component Mm -hmm. that we can talk about as well. So Mm -hmm. a lot like the concrete place and finish guys, the good concrete polishers, They've also been running that sprint for sure, years. Sure. And you know, I talk to polishers across the country every day and everybody's facing the same problem. They're facing the, the labor issues. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and trained labor is a big deal, right? Right. And so and trained. I mean yeah, really fully trained. Post pandemic, post COVID, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to find guys who wanna work. It's hard mm-hmm. to find people that wanna that wanna go to work. Pushing mm-hmm. a grinder and dragging around vacuums and Down on your hands and knees, doing edges, doing repairs, actually hard labor, right? right? Physical labor. Mm -hmm. So I think that as the new construction side shrinks, I think that some of the lower, you know, we've been in in some aspects of our industry, we've been kind of this race to the bottom. Sure, I think that that needs to be done. I think that's already ending. It's killing right. It can kill an industry. It can kill an industry. Mm -hmm. That's right, but. With the drop off of that new construction mm-hmm. uh, and all of that square footage just poof magically disappear, mm-hmm. uh, I think that the remodel side has to be by default a higher priced product because you sure. don't know what you're getting into specifically. Right. Uh, you know, and so I think there's some opportunity here for the for some of these for companies that have focused on new construction to now spend some time also. Training the valuable, good guys that they want to keep. Sure. And now you can put some real push behind the training and
1: uh, actually bringing guys up to speed where... Well, it's going to be... It, so that quality of training is going to be... It, it It could be what makes or breaks the a company. Where
2: historically, you hire a guy, you know, the first of the month. Right. You put him with the crew. He's like the fifth guy on the crew. Now mm-hmm. he's running around just... Picking up diamonds and cleaning trailers and whatever. Right. The next job he's pushing a grinder. Mm-hmm. The next job he's you know, next big job he's pushing a grinder, but also can do the coloring work and the edge work. Mm-hmm. Now you're three jobs in, three big jobs in, the guy's been with you for a year, year and a half. All mm-hmm. three of those jobs are new construction. Right. It took a long time. Now you throw that guy onto a remodel job that he's never done. Right. Where he has no clue what to do. Right. And he's popping tile and supposed to be turning over footage every day. Right. Doesn't know how to how to handle the, the issues. Mm-hmm. Well, if we're the consultant and I go on that job and I reject that and you have to go back to areas you've already completed to go fix it, right? That's a money loser for you, right? So I think it would be just like with a concrete place and finish for the mm-hmm. polishing side, there's some opportunity here for as we slow down a little bit as an industry for the next Say three to five years. Right. This is the opportunity for us to catch up on the training game sure. and move our quality
1: of workmanship up. Right. And and because it, again, because you'll have to, and it'll be cost effective to do so. Right. A little bit here. What is that? Like the don't trip over nickels, hundred dollars.
2: Well, we've been we've been running so fast that if we drop a hundred dollar bill, it's not worth the time we <laughs> take to pick it up. Sure
1: because right. there's so much work
2: been out there for the last you know 10, 10 12 years right uh if you if you're a decent contractor you've been booked out you know six months nine months in advance you've got work right? right and so as i'm talking to contractors all across the country everybody's in the same boat i have a little i'm finishing up a lot of stuff now but i'm not really i don't really have a ton of stuff on the books for next year right like i have in years past right so I think there's some opportunity there. So sure. I think that you know, while overall um, I feel that we need to continue to expect inflation to go up
0: mm-hmm.
2: and we need to continue to expect unemployment to go up, I think there's some pretty good opportunities in our industry for, um, for big leaps forward, especially on the polishing side. I think that our industry has an opportunity to take the the next step at our maturity. If we, if we started, you know, let's say that we were in, uh, from birth, we're in fourth grade now. Right. And we have the opportunity
1: mm-hmm. with a
2: little bit of a slowdown mm-hmm. to actually go back to school and learn a whole lot more. Right. So instead of, hitting the world at fourth grade fifth grade now we're going to jump all the way to seniors in high school over the next couple of years Mm -hmm. and so we can really take a lot of a big jump up in our maturity as an industry sure um
1: so i'm excited to see how that happens all right that's that sounds really hopeful especially with all the well with the bad news you know it seems like it could be um unsettling information that's actually a really great silver lining yeah
2: you know what I listen to the news, which obviously they make their money by scaring everybody, right? And I hear things like, you know, oh, we're, you know, we're running out of diesel everywhere. Right. Well, we have some. Right. We're not, it's not like we're going to run out tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Um, I see that you know, the energy stuff.
0: Uh, Yeah, we
2: have, it's going up. Right. But it's not like it's the end of the world. Right. And... I think that there are some silver linings that can
1: really move our industry forward. So, well, and that's what we have to do. I mean, we have right. to find those opportunities, and it's you're well equipped to do so. You have a very unique way of looking at things to uncover opportunity where it might not be so obvious.
2: Looking at you know, talking to the owners, talking to the retailers, mm-hmm. and the property managers, the owners, talking to the manufacturers, and talking to the contractors. Sure. Each of those individually don't talk to each other constantly. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. And so having those three different perspectives, I think, you know, lets me see things that are harder to see if I'm in one of those other buckets.
1: Right. So
0: I think that's good for this segment.
1: All right. Thank you for taking the time to walk me and everybody
0: through that. (laughs)